Now last Lord's Day we did look at the, the origins of this Marian cult within uh, Romanism. And of course it is traced back to Babylonian paganism of no qualms and, and doubt in saying that. Then we looked at uh, what the scriptures actually tell us about Mary. And so today we're just moving on. If you want to catch up, you, you'll have to go back and download the sermon from last week. So today I just want to re-emphasize and reiterate that thirdly, there is one true mediator, one true mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Turn to our text, please, in First Timothy chapter 2. Verse 5 and 6, the mediator is someone, of course, who brings together uh, parties who are at variance one with another. And say if you have a court case before you'd actually go before the judge, there is mediation uh, between the various lawyers. And the lawyers will talk to the parties and they'll seek to find a common ground of agreement with the various parties and bring them together. There's mediation. The mediator between God and men is the Lord Jesus Christ. In her own confession of faith, there's a whole chapter given to it. Chapter 8 and section 8, it says, For those for whom Christ has purchased redemption, he does certainly and effectually apply and communicate the same, making intercession for them and revealing unto them in and by the word the mysteries of salvation, effectually persuading them by his Holy Spirit to believe and obey and governing their hearts by his word and spirit, overcoming all their enemies by his almighty power and wisdom, in such manner and ways as are most consonant to his wonderful and unsearchable dispensations. You take that confession, you break it down, you have the enlargement of it in the larger catechism. And I have broken it down, the larger catechism. Uh, question 55, how doth Christ make intercession? We'll just look at that aspect of it today Christ maketh intercession how and then it's broken down into various parts by his appearing in our nature continually before the father in heaven remember when the Lord Jesus ascended in Acts chapter 1 he went back with our nature and in our nature he appears before the father in heaven and so we have a man in the glory who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 9 verse 12 and 24, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. What a wonderful truth today. He entered in for us. Christ and all of his fullness entered in for us. And there he is today before the Father's throne for us. In the merit of his obedience and sacrifice on earth. And so he pleads today his merit. He pleads his merit on our behalf in heaven. In Hebrews 1 and 3 it tells us when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And there he is seated, there he's reigning, there he's ruling, and there he's interceding for those who are his own. And he is declaring his will to have it applied to all believers. All the merit of Calvary, it is the will of Christ that it will be applied to all of the believers. The wonders of grace, 
There will not be one for whom the Lord Jesus died that his intercession will not apply to. We needn't think somebody's going to be lost, somebody's going to be forgotten about, not a bit of it. They're all going to be remembered and they're all going to have this wonderful merit of Calvary applied to them. Also, it tells us Christ by his intercession answers all the accusations that are against them. Don't think that the devil stops. The devil does not stop accusing the elect of God. We read in Romans 8, 33 to 34. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yet rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. There are many Christians today, and they battle with doubts, and they battle with fears, and the devil makes all types of accusations against them, and he tells them that they're not saved, they're not the Lord, they're, 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 not, the, they're not the children of God. Well, the Lord Jesus answers those doubts. And the Lord Jesus answers those accusations. You do not have to answer them. Christ answers them. It is Christ who answers the devil's accusations in heaven. And how does he answer them? By pleading the merits of his sacrifice and of his atoning blood. He answers them. And there are many Christians today. And they try to find the answer. Let me tell you dear Christian. Christ has the answer. Christ is the answer. And he answers the devil's accusations in heaven today for us. We don't have to answer them. He has already answered them and is answering them. And it tells us he procures for them quiet of conscience, notwithstanding daily feelings. That's wonderful. The Christian can have quietness and peace of conscience, notwithstanding our daily feelings. The feelings are not on his part. The feelings are all on our part. I love those words in 1 John 2 verse 1 and 2. It reminds us. My little children. These things write I unto you that ye sin not. And then it says. And if any man sin. Because we know we all sin. We have an advocate with the father. Jesus Christ the righteous. We got used to this word advocate in Kenya. The advocate is your lawyer. Your solicitor. If you had something that you had to find representation for. You went to the advocate. The advocate then pleaded your cause. And Christ is our advocate. And how does he plead? He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only. But for the sins of the whole world. Here I am. A fallen sinner. With daily feelings. That's what the Bible teaches us. Here I am. A sinner with daily feelings. And Christ pleads for me. I take great encouragement in that. There are people today. They, they think they can attain perfection. Sadly. There's no perfection. This side of God's eternity. Even with all of my feelings. He intercedes for me. And that's why you can have quietness of conscience. Because he pleads. It's his intercessions that pleads for you and me. And we have then access with boldness to the throne of grace. He opens up the way for us. Oh, we think of our, our dear Roman Catholic neighbours and friends. 
And they are taught that they must enter into God's presence through invoking the name of Mary and the saints as that priest did the day on the radio. He's invoking the name of Mary. He's invoking the saints and all who have gone before uh, to find grace with God. There's no grace through Mary. There's no grace through all the saints that have gone before. There's only grace through Christ. And in his merits we find grace before his throne. He has opened up the way for us. Hebrews 4.16 We come boldly onto the throne of grace. Why? Because we have a great high priest. The Lord Jesus Christ. And through him we have access to God in prayer. And then it tells us he maketh intercession. He accepts our persons. He accepts us. We read those great words in Ephesians 1 and 6 that he hath made us accepted. Accepted in the beloved. Sometimes people struggle to find acceptance. Uh, and they struggle with this. Um, does God really accept me? If you're in Christ, despite your daily feelings, you are accepted. Now you should get that into your mind today before you leave. If you remember nothing else of the service today, remember this because of Christ and his intercession. You are accepted before God. If you have truly made your peace with God through putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are accepted before God. And you can have quietness of conscience of it. And not only does God accept you, he accepts your service. He accepts your service. Who, who are, who are, what, what are we that we can come into God's presence and we can serve him? What could I do with these hands? What could I say with these lips that could ever sufficiently, that could ever sufficiently merit favor from God? Nothing. But through Christ, they're accepted. Our service today, that's why we call it, we call it our midday service. Not really our morning services, our midday service, our evening service. It's all accepted through the mediation of Christ. He accepts us. He accepts what we've done and who we are and what we are. Oh, the wonders of the intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. God and man. And two distinct natures and one person forever. And we're accepted in him today. I want to close out today this part. By thinking with you of the outworking of Rome's teachings today. <clears throat> this, this leaven of uh, Mariolatry has had a fearful harvest uh, in, the, in the nations of the world. And this unbiblical doctrine has had various stages of development over the centuries. So, for example, in 1854, by the decree of Pope Pius IX, the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception was formulated. So this decree taught that Mary was not only born without sin, but she was also freed from any taint of sin throughout her whole life. And the scripture says absolutely nothing about this. Where does the Bible find all of us? Romans 3 and 23, where all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And herein is the evidence of the extremes that Rome will go to do what? To exalt Mary. And it's a hideous lie 
to give to Mary this attribute of impeccability, to elevate a woman who recognized her own sin and received the salvation of God and to put her on a par with deity. Remember, as we said last week, Mary sought none of the adoration that Rome gives to her. Mary was just a humble sinner who sought the grace of God. And you and I today, just as humble sinners before Almighty God, if we seek that grace and favour, he'll give us that grace and favour. Rome has taken her teaching on Mary still further because in 1950, by further decree of Pope Pius XII, the assumption of Mary was pronounced. So what is that? Well, that is that Mary's body from the grave was actually raised after she died and she was taken to heaven bodily. And in heaven, she is enthroned now as the queen of heaven. And to refuse to accept such teaching according to the Church of Rome is a mortal sin, a sin that would send you straight to hell. Roman theologians refused to accept the, the fatal flaw in this decree. And what's the fatal flaw? It's based on the word of the Pope instead of the word of God. It's Popery. If Mary was sinless as decreed by the doctrine, doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, why then had she to die at all? Because death cometh by sin. And if Mary was immaculate, she didn't, she didn't have to die. The chain of Maryolatry is not yet completely outworked in the Roman Church because it is her aim to exalt Mary to a position of co-redeemership with Christ. And that's the doctrine that the Jesuits in the Roman Church have been advancing for years. The harlotry of the woman on the beast knows no bounds, brethren and sisters. And in the days to come, that full manifestation of that anti-Christian system will be fully outworked and will be fully manifested. This outworking of Maryolatry is seen in the so-called apparitions of Mary right across the world. The Shine at Knock in Western Ireland, for example, has an international airport built at it to bring in the pilgrims to the shrine. That shrine in County Mayo... Uh, it was where Catholics believe in 1879 there was an appearance of the Virgin Mary, St. Joseph, St. John the Evangelist and Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. And of course dotted around the world there are other similar shrines where pilgrims go to and pay thousands and thousands of pounds to get there and whilst they're there thousands of more pounds in the masses that are said for the repose of the souls of those that have gone before them. And so we have Fatima in Portugal, we have Lourdes in France, and they attract thousands every year. And the divine attribute of omnipresence belongs none to God alone, but Rome applies it to Mary, because Mary couldn't appear all over the place as she does unless she had omnipresence. And of course, sadly today, I have to say that this outworking of Maryolatry is seen in apostate Protestantism. It's amazing to me to see so-called Protestant ministers, gospel ministers, swallow Rome's lie concerning the Madonna. 
And the clever packaging of Mariolatry has caught the attention and the attraction of apostate Protestantism. The Anglican Church in May every year, for example, parades a little doll, a little Marian Madonna around Walsingham in a pre-Reformation ritual. Let me give you a little bit of the history. It was when Father Alfred Hope Patton was appointed as the, the Church of England Vicar of Walsingham in 1922 that the Anglican interest in this pre-Reformation pilgrimage was ignited. And it was his idea to create a new statue of what he called Our Lady of Walsingham based on the image depicted on the seal of the medieval priory. So in 1922, the statue was set up in the local parish church of St. Mary and pilgrimage started. And so from the first night, the statue was placed there. The people gathered around it to pray, asking Mary to pray with their prayers and to intercede for them. And of course, this grew and it grew and it grew until every year there are thousands go to that Marian pilgrimage and they parade that doll around the area and they follow it and they pray to her. This is the, the Anglican State Church. I'm glad there are evangelical Christians in England who go every year to protest at it and to raise a voice for the Lord. <coughs> in 2005, the Anglican and the Roman Catholic International Commission reviewed what was their joint teaching on Mary. And this is what their conclusions were. The scriptures lead us together to praise and bless Mary as the handmaid of the Lord. Our two communions are both heirs to a rich tradition which recognises Mary as ever virgin. I think on that. As ever virgin and sees her as the new Eve and as a type of the church. We are agreed that Mary and the saints pray for the whole church. Now, can you imagine that the successors of Cranmere and Latimer would agree to a statement that says that we are agreed that Mary and the saints pray for the whole church. The teaching about Mary in the two definitions of 1854-1950 understood within the biblical pattern of the economy of grace and hope outlined can be said to be consonant with the teaching of scriptures and the ancient common traditions. What is that? Well, that's the reference to what we've already told you, the Immaculate Conception and the sinlessness of Mary. Dear brethren and sisters, that is rank apostasy. And asking our brothers and sisters in heaven to pray for us is acceptable. I fail to understand how anyone with even the slightest understanding of scripture can concur with such statements. And yet they do. Within the PCI in Ireland, the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, we have men like Dr. Ken Newell, who used to be the minister of Fitzroy Presbyterian Church. At his retirement, he was asked what was the highlight of his ministry. And he said the highlight of his ministry was the ecumenical contacts with Clonard Monastery and especially his unique friendship with the late uh, uh, Father Jerry Reynolds, one of the redemptorist priests from Clonard. Jerry Adams once described Clonard as the birthplace of the peace process. 
Ken Yule's friendship, of course, was just more than a social acquaintance, being neighbourly. Between Fitzroy Presbyterian and Clonard Monastery, an ecumenical study group was established. Now remember, Jerry Reynolds, a priest from the Redemptorist Order, was tasked with what? His task was to promote Mary and Marian worship. Clonard Monastery is famous for its so-called nine-day novena each year. Do you know many people go there every year? A hundred thousand people gather at it. And it's dedicated to Mary. And what, uh, what, how is it advertised? This is how it's advertised, that, that uh, nine-day gathering, to make her known to the whole world. To make Mary known. And one of the highlights for Ken Yule was preaching at that novena. And despite all of that, Ken Newell was elected as moderator of the PCI in Ireland. His, his ease at preaching at such a Roman festival, which was aimed at making Mary known, did not prevent him from occupying the moderator's chair in the General Assembly. He finished his ministry by swallowing the ecumenical lie and he was supported by those who voted for him in the General Assembly. And brethren and sisters, the evangelicals within the General Assembly of the PCI were powerless to do anything about it and obviously didn't see too much wrong in his involvement because none of them opposed him. Dr. Newell's successor is the Reverend Stephen Stockman, very interesting character. And he has continued with that ecumenical study group between Fitzroy Presbyterian and Clonard Monastery. And together with a local priest called Martin McGill, they have organised a cross-community festival for the last 10 years. So in January of this year, Pope Francis sent a video message praising McGill and Stockman for their ecumenical activity. And subsequently, the two men were invited as part of a delegation from Belfast to meet the Pope at the Vatican. And concerning that meeting, this is what the Reverend Stockman said. Who signed the Westminster Confession of Faith. He said, I have no doubts that many in my denomination and other Protestants will call me a heretic. But from what I have read and heard about Pope Francis, I see him as a fellow follower of Jesus. That's an amazing statement. Who is this Jesus? That Pope Francis is advancing and following. In a statement, in statement 969 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Mary is presented as a mediator in direct contradiction to what we have been reading in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5. The Pope claims to be the vicar of Christ and the head of the church. However, we, we affirm. We affirm with all of the authority of Scripture that there's but one head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. What is Pope Francis? He's a blasphemer. He's a promoter of another gospel. He's not a, a fellow follower of Jesus Christ. Reverend Steve Stockman 
He's abandoned his own confessional teaching, which says there's no other head of the church but the Lord Jesus Christ, nor can the Pope of Rome in any sense be head thereof, but is that Antichrist, that man of sin, that son of perdition, that exalts himself in the church against Christ and all that is called God. I was asked this week by a man brought up in the PCI, what's the difference, could you tell me, between the Free Presbyterian Church and the PCI? And this was in my mind all about uh, the Reverend Stockman, Steve Stockman, Fitzroy and Clonerton. I said, I'll tell you what the difference is. And I, I give him the illustration of Steve Stockman <clears throat> going against his confessional teaching, going against the teaching of the scripture. I said, the difference is not one man put a charge of heresy against him. I said, I assure you, if the local free Presbyterian minister went to the monastery and took part in a festival to make Mary known, I'd be the first to put a charge against him at the presbytery. But nobody did. The evangelicals were silent. There is but one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Rome's aim is to make Mary known. What's our aim? To make Jesus known. The Jesus of the Bible. And as a Protestant minister of the gospel, it's my joy to uplift him in this pulpit week by week. To Christ alone we direct sinners to salvation. It's not to the Free Presbyterian Church, God forbid. It's not to any minister within the Free Presbyterian Church, God forbid. As I said in Bangor during the week gone by, amongst evangelical Christians, sometimes we have a fixation on preachers. Would that we had such a focus upon the Word of God. And the Word of God declares, one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Christ is the only one you need. If you're not saved as yet today, he's the only one you need. Flee to him. Call upon him, seek him, and you'll find grace for your soul and salvation in the hour of your death. Rome's way, brethren and sisters, is a false way. It is not the way of the Bible, the way of the scriptures of truth. And it's tragic to see fellow Protestants, a name at least, embrace it as if it is the truth. That's why I still am a free Presbyterian. Because I'm allowed to say all of those things from this pulpit. And nobody can say anything to me. We need reformation. We need revival. We need God to break into our land again. May we be spared to see it, brethren and sisters, and live to acknowledge it in our own day.